We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Stefan Diggs comes back to life. Jameis Winston is a turnover machine, and the Cowboys continue to struggle. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome on Into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by my bookie, Ship Station and Roman. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. What's going on, Matt? What did you think of uh, the slate of games this weekend? Yeah, it was good. Um, and I had a you know pretty decent uh, betting week on props and against the spread, uh, you know, some entertaining games. So, yeah, I think pretty good all the way around. Yep. And uh, it all started off on Thursday night in what was a really ugly game, in my estimation, between the Patriots and the Giants. We saw Daniel Jones throw three interceptions. Golden Tate did put up 102 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Obviously, we have to take into account that this is an offense that isn't completely healthy. But given the two games that we've seen from Tate so far, how are you feeling about his prospects for the rest of the season? Pretty good. I mean, I think a lot of it will depend on uh, when Evan Ingram comes back and the same with Sterling Shepard. But uh, as long as he's the main guy in the slot, I think he's going to continue to see a lot of action. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there were some fairly encouraging signs just for Tate himself. And I think that um, given what we've seen from Jones, Tate looks like the type of player that he'll be able to continue to use. Um, have you been impressed with Jones outside of that first performance that he had? Or do you think that he is looking like the the Daniel Jones we were expecting? Any better or any worse? Uh, obviously, he hasn't uh, hit the heights of that first start, but I mean, he's been like decent for a rookie quarterback, although he's gotten progressively worse and worse with each start, which I think you would kind of expect as teams kind of get more information on him. But I don't think like just because he had a bad game against the Patriots uh, without a lot of the weapons around him on a Thursday night game. And just because he had a bad game against the Vikings who have a pretty good defense. Like, I don't think that means he's going to be a bad player necessarily moving forward, but um, yeah, he's struggling much more than uh, you know, other, other players at this point, like Kyler Murray is clearly, I think the superior player out of the two of them, or at least he's playing better at this point, but Daniel Jones for a rookie it's not bad it's not particularly great it's just kind of whatever yeah and playing without Saquon Barkley isn't helping matters and yeah that's a really tough spot to put a rookie into on that Thursday night game 
Sony Michelle has been seeing volume out of the Patriots' backfield. He's had trouble converting it into the number of fantasy points that his owners would like to see, and he's been awful in terms of fantasy points over expectation. If you fire up the Rotoviz Stat Explorer and go take a look at him each week, you'll see that uh, it's been rather ugly. As far as this Patriots' backfield is shaping up, I believe that Michelle is still going to see some volume. Do you think that he turns it around and becomes a little bit more of a fantasy contributor? Yeah, I think it's hard for a guy who's in a good offense like that, who gets the volume he does not to produce points. And um, even though he hasn't been efficient, he still had, I mean, what is it like close to like 200, uh, 200 yards over the last two games. That's actually like pretty good. If like he had just happened to fall into the end zone one more time, you know, no one would be thinking like, oh, he's not playing well. I think it's actually pretty encouraging that he's continuing to get volume and he's actually being used much more as a pass catching back. There had been rumors before the season started that he actually would have a role as a receiver that didn't materialize in the first month of the season, but now we're actually seeing it happen. Uh, And maybe part of that is just because Rex Burkhead has been out and he's had to assume some of that workload that Burkhead would have had, but Either way, at least we see that he can be a receiving back. So uh, especially if he continues to get that uh, that volume through the air, I'm pretty encouraged. I actually have a similar take to you, and I've um, talked about him a number of times in the three and out, which is the column that I do each week. And like you said, I think that it is rather encouraging that he's still been mildly successful, if you will, seeing that volume. And if things click in a couple of games, we're going to be talking about a very different story for him. Being inside that Patriots offense certainly helps. And also, if you look at his upcoming schedule, New England has one of the most favorable running back schedules throughout the rest of the season. So there's going to be ample opportunity for him to put up a couple of big games you referenced um kyler murray a couple minutes ago um talking about daniel jones he's quietly been really good he's actually first in expected points per game he's seven in points he's had three qb1 performances which i think is kind of getting lost in the mix at least in the content that i'm absorbing Seems like you're kind of on the same page with me that though there haven't been any outlandish performances, this is a really good start to a rookie season. Yeah, this is pretty exciting. Um, I think he should be the front runner for rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. I like I think it's kind of hard to like who else can you think of anyone else who would have a real shot at it? Like I don't I think, think Minshew could have, but it doesn't look like that's gonna hold up long enough. Yeah, I I think he's going to come back to earth a little bit. I think Murray's going to continue to improve. And I think like in a worst case scenario. Oh, wait, though. Terry McLaurin, I think, could make a case. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) McLaurin. McLaurin has a really good case for it. But uh, if McLaurin comes down to earth a little bit, which I think he should, and Murray continues to get better, like this is normally a, a quarterback type of award. Um, yeah. so I don't, I don't know, like if Murray's able to pass for like how many word, how many yards is he pacing for right now? So like, right now he is at, um, uh, total yardage is 1,664. That's through six games. I mean, I think you can say he could get to 4,500 for sure. Yeah. yeah. He's pacing for around 4,500. Yeah. Like if, if he gets to 4,500, I think it would be hard for him not to win rookie of the year. Like it would, it would take a, a near all time great performance from McLaurin to keep him from getting it. But kind of regardless of that, like, yeah, he's been impressive and uh, he didn't start out all that great. uh, I think in part because he wasn't running a lot, but uh, they've amped up the volume with which he's running. Um, He's starting to become a little more efficient as a passer, Like, this is pretty exciting, and I think people, if you just kind of did a survey, they would say that he's disappointed expectations, but he's, like, what is he right now? Like, the number eight fantasy quarterback? He's number seven, actually, overall, in terms of uh, PPR per game. And I'd also like to point out, too, he's two in rushing yards among quarterbacks. Uh, He's four in attempts, three in completions. Completion percentage is pretty low at only, you know, 20, 20, ranks 23. Pass yards are at nine, but I mean, these are all good things in an offense that we expect is going to improve. Yeah, I mean, for a guy to, you know, quote unquote, be kind of disappointing, 
uh, and for him still to be the number seven fantasy quarterback is really impressive. And you can see like the trajectory moving up, uh, especially going against the Giants this upcoming week. So, um, yeah, I, I still am very much on board with Kyler Murray. So we're feeling good about Murray. Chase Edmonds has been getting more involved. Uh, a receiving touchdown over the weekend, of course, that came, uh, or his performance came on five carries, two targets, so not crazy volume, but it is good to see him continuing to get involved. Yeah, uh, like him. Uh, also really interested in uh, Fitzgerald, which kind of seems obvious, and, and maybe it's, uh, I don't know, like, you could expect that his volume might decline a little bit with Christian Kirk coming back, but at least for this next week, I'm pretty encouraged because going against the Giants, the Giants are already pretty weak in the secondary, uh, and then they have to go with four cornerbacks because of uh, the four-wide system that uh, Arizona runs. So what we're going to see for the most part is Larry Fitzgerald matched up against either uh, Grant Haley, who you know last year was an undrafted player, really hasn't seen um, all that much action before this year, uh, and he's one of the lowest ranked uh, PFF cornerbacks, uh, and that's like the the good matchup for um, for the Giants against Fitz. They could also be running out like their number four cornerback in the slot against Fitz. Uh, for, for some of the snaps. So it's just, I think like a pretty good matchup for Fitz all the way around. So his, uh, receiving prop up to this point in the year has hovered around like, uh, 62 to like 69 yards, like in that range. Um, and although I normally look to unders, I think this is a spot where I might be looking to the over on Fitz's prop. And for those of you looking to get in on the action on the props, Make sure that you head over to my bookie. It is the place to bet on football every weekend. They have the best bonuses and prop pets in the business live in-game betting on every NFL game, rewarding player perks, fantasy over-unders, my personal favorite, and they're even matching deposits up to $1,000 when you use the promo code ROTOVIZ. Uh, where you bet is just as important as the teams and the players that you bet on. That's why you need to head over to mybookie.ag and use the promo code ROTOVIS. Again, they will match your deposit up to $1,000 when you use the code ROTOVIS. Uh, again, that's mybookie.ag. You bet, you win, they pay. Moving along, Matt, Stefan Diggs comes back to life with 167 yards and three receiving touchdowns on 11 targets. He actually also saw two carries for 18 yards. Where do we stand now on Diggs and the Vikings offense? Exactly the same uh, as we did before. I mean, like, <laughs> it's still a, a run-first offense. Um, they had one of the best matchups uh, they could possibly have against a secondary um, that is without his three starting cornerbacks. Um, it was a, I think, kind of like squeaky wheel type of game, but that's the only game this year in which Diggs has had uh, at least eight targets. I don't think we're going to see him get double digits routinely. Uh, so I think he pretty much is what he was in weeks one through five. Like that whole time, he was still a guy who could go off in any given game. Um, that's what he was in week six. That's what he's going to be the rest of the season. It's just going to be extremely inconsistent. Yeah. So in week five, Kirk Cousins threw 27 passes. He threw 29 over the weekend. So it's not like we saw this paradigm shift in the offense, I think what we did see was Cousins taking a couple more looks deep downfield. But as you alluded to, some of that may have been matchup dependent. Perhaps you feel a little bit better about Diggs knowing that these performances can come to pass. But I really do not think that you can bank on a significant shift in volume um, as it's going to be dependent on the split that goes his way. No, I mean, I, it's a yep. it's a lot easier for Kirk Cousins to throw deep when Diggs is running by a guy named Rasul Douglas, you know, <laughs> like it's just it's not the same when they're facing any other defense that has a semi-competent group of cornerbacks back there. Yeah, your takeaway from this game can't be that things have changed and all of a sudden, you know, Diggs is the guy that you right. thought you were getting during the draft. I glossed over a game that I did want to mention. We have to talk about the Carolina and Tampa Bay matchup. So Chris Godwin 
another game uh, where he scores more points than Mike Evans. But Mike Evans actually had 17 targets. I also want to remind everybody that other than that zero, he has been a wide receiver one in three of the last four games. A fair question, even though my answer is I don't think it matters, that people might have. When Jameis Winston goes out there and turns the ball over that much, throws five interceptions, is that going to have a negative impact on Godwin and Evans? I have no idea. I mean, it has a negative impact in that uh, they don't have as many opportunities to score touchdowns um, just because their drives aren't sustained. It might have a negative consequence uh, if Winston plays so poorly that the coaching staff feels the need to bench him um, because, like, who's their backup quarterback? Like, I don't I don't even know. Is it Ryan Griffin? I mean, I feel like it was Honestly, Ryan Griffin, like, back in the day. I, I, I'm I, looking this up right now because I cannot give an answer that I feel confident in. It uh, is... McCown? Uh, I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> All right, we're about to find out. Uh, it is... All right, let me pull up the Buccaneers depth chart. Wow, this is this is something, man. Their backup quarterback, yeah, it's Ryan Griffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, a horrible situation, but if it gets bad enough to where they feel as if they have to bench Winston and go to Ryan Griffin, I don't I mean, I don't think that's good for the offense. So, uh yeah, it's it's not good for uh it's not good for them whenever Winston sucks. I mean, that seems pretty obvious. Right. I think that the question's probably getting at within individual games, and I would say that what we see lots of times is it puts them in situations where even though I think that they might be inclined to air it out anyway, where they are going to have to pass a fair amount. Maybe you get some hurry up situations, you get some garbage situations. So in the short term, I wouldn't really worry about it. if it gets to the point though, where they do have to bench Winston. And it did seem that Arians is starting to get a little frustrated with Winston. Then we might have a problem. I mean, I do think it's bad in that those are five drives that can't end in touchdowns for the team. That's a very fair point. That is a very fair point. And then also, uh, to throw into the mix, I didn't have this on the show sheet, but we're seeing Dare Ogunbo, however you say it, Ogunbo Wale, uh, vulture some touchdowns in some like high-leverage situations. Uh, so I have found the running back splits to be kind of odd, where Jones is looking better than Barber. Barber's still seeing more volume. Um that kind of gets back to taking away some of the if the opportunities are limited for the receivers. But a- any thoughts related to what I just talked about? Yeah, Ogunbowale is locked in as their uh, their pass catching back, which uh, is unfortunate because if uh, Peyton or Jones is really going to have standalone value, he's going to, especially like in the timeshare, he's going to need to be the guy who's the pass catcher, and that's just not possible right now. For sure. Um, moving over to the Panthers. Um, who had, I would say, a, pr- a pretty solid game in that London game. Curtis Samuel with a rushing and receiving touchdown. This is one of those things we talked about in the preseason, the value that Samuel could have getting utilized as a rusher. My question to you is, do you think that this is the type of thing that we could see become a little bit more routine to kind of mix things up behind Christian McCaffrey? Uh, no. I mean, I, I think like we will see Samuel and to a lesser extent, DJ Moore, uh, get the occasional carries. So in the last, uh, three weeks, Samuel's gotten four carries and he has five on the season. Like that's kind of in keeping with what he did last year. He had eight last year. Most of those came in the eight game run where he was a starter. Uh, and DJ Moore had similar usage as well. So I think you can think that between the two of them, they will average maybe like 1.3 or something like that carries per game. Um, so yeah, at some point, one of those carries is going to turn into a touchdown, but I don't think it's going to be the thing where those guys are routinely lining up in the backfield and taking running back carries. Like most of the carries they're going to get are going to be like on kind of jet sweeps and things like that. Right. I would love to see them do with Samuel or even more what the Packers used to do with uh, Randall Cobb where they'd give him like three, four touches a game out of the backfield. Um, Miles Sanders might have had his best game of the season yesterday. Three wrecks for 86 yards and a touchdown, but I think that it's important to highlight that was also with a rushing workload of just three carries, and actually Boston Scott saw four. 
So though this might be an encouraging sign for Sanders owners, I think that we're still looking at a situation where Jordan Howard sees the majority of carries, and you're going to need to hope that Sanders either sees a major uptick in receiving usage or scores a touchdown. Yeah, Jordan Howard was the main guy. Boston's got, uh, I believe, got most of, if not all of his touches uh, at the very end of the game when they were down by like 20 points and just running out the clock. But um, yeah, a, a negative situation for Sanders in that he just clearly is behind Jordan Howard on the depth chart. Um, when the game was close, um, Howard was the guy who was in there getting all the carries. And really, three targets isn't even all that many targets like it's nice that's better than nothing and he was clearly able to do something with one of those targets turning it into a touchdown but um it's hard to trust a guy who's getting uh just you know three to four targets per game and now is uh not even getting like five carries yeah for the talent that might be there i'm really not feeling great that we're gonna get to see it bear out completely this season um as I, I fully expect Howard to be the guy, at least in a, in a split in comparison to Sanders. Uh, Adrian Peterson, pretty solid game against the Dolphins. 118 yards and a reception. Again, we see uh, Terry McLaurin steal the show. 100 yards, two touchdowns. Of course, that's just on four wrecks of seven targets. Like you talked about, I think that the pace on McLaurin is going to slow down a little bit. But I guess more importantly... Uh, Adrian Peterson, are there more performances like the one that he had over the weekend in store? Uh, not really. I mean, unless they get to play the Dolphins every week. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in, in the games where they could be expected to hang in there and there aren't all that many <laughs> games like that on their schedule, uh, then maybe you can see Adrian Peterson do something like that. But I think this is actually like the sell high opportunity if you can get it because going against the 49ers – the Vikings, and then the Bills, and then they're on by. For the next month, Adrian Peterson is basically useless. And then after that, it's not as if he has really great matchups. He has the Jets, and the Jets are bad, but like their defense isn't horrible. And then the Lions and the Panthers, both of those teams have pretty good defenses. Like you, If you have Adrian Peterson, you have to trade him now because I think he's almost useless the rest of the season. And I think that Jets offense with Sam Darnold back is, you know, as you'd expect, a lot better. So I think that Jets game, if you're looking at that um, in the schedule for Washington, you might have to increase the level of difficulty that you're expecting. For Miami, Josh Rosen, not looking good. Do you think that we see a radical shift in that offense or, you know, maybe not anything radical, but I guess, does it matter for the players in Miami's offense if it, if the team moves back to Ryan Fitzpatrick? We did see Devontae Parker score a touchdown. Um, before I let you answer, I'll, I'll mention, as I've been writing about now for a couple of weeks, Devontae Parker is actually up there in expected points and air yards uh, amongst receivers. It was kind of a matter of time before we saw at least a decent game for him. Um, So perhaps maybe talk about, you know, if you think there's a significant difference with Fitzpatrick in there for Parker, and then if there's an impact on anybody else in the offense. Yeah, I mean, Fitzpatrick clearly has the volatility that Josh Rosen hasn't exhibited. And, um, you know, volatility can be a bad thing if you want stability from your quarterback position. But if you're just like, throwing basically a Hail Mary every game. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing for Fitzpatrick to be back there. Uh, I don't see how he could do any worse than Rosen, and he has significantly more upside. So I think that would help Parker. It would help Preston Williams. Um, you know, even Albert Wilson, assuming that he plays more snaps moving forward. Um, but just a horrible situation all the way around. I think one to avoid, if you have to be tied to any of those players, I think you want Fitzpatrick in there. The Chiefs have now lost two games in a row. Is this the end of the Patrick Mahomes era? Yes. Uh, I'm just yeah. kidding. That's no. such a like talk radio yeah. question, right? Yes. Um, my actual question is uh, just 11 um, rushing attempts for Kansas City in their game against the Texans. Another highlight, uh, Tyreek Hill, first game back. Two receiving touchdowns. Um, Travis Kelsey, only one receiving touchdown on the season. I think that surely that has to correct. I'm assuming you're on board with me there. But um, 
The the thing I do want to focus on here is just the 11 rushing attempts for KC. Are you concerned now, especially with the split? We've now had two weeks with uh, Damian Williams back about, you know, what we can, what we know with these running backs. Is this offense going to be predictable in the backfield? Uh, I mean, I, it's hard to say the degree to which it will be predictable because, you know, two weeks ago, LaShawn McCoy had zero carries. Uh, last week he led the backfield with eight and was reasonably productive with those carries, but it's still only eight carries. And then he had two targets. So like he was playing ahead of Damian Williams in terms of actually touching the ball, but Williams still saw a, uh, I believe a pretty significant number of snaps. Um, he, well, like 38% of the snaps, but McCoy was there for only 50%. So it's not as if like McCoy was dominating him in terms of, uh, on field presence. So it's hard to say what is happening with that backfield. Uh, and also like with that offense, I think a pretty underrated part of this is that Mahomes, like his ankle is injured. He's, I think pretty clearly not himself back there. It's not that he's playing horribly. It's just that he's missing some of the throws that he made last year and he's not getting as much support from uh, the running game. Um, McCoy and Williams, uh, you know, as potential filled as they might be are not uh, Kareem Hunt from last year. So, uh, you know, the offense isn't just quite at peak capacity. Fair enough. Latavius Murray saw a little more uses than he has uh, up until the weekend at this point this season. 11 carries, 3 targets. I think that Kamara owners might be starting to get worried or really looking forward to the return of Drew Brees. With what we saw from Murray over the weekend, do you think that makes those owners justifiably a little bit more concerned and really hoping for Brees to return? Yeah, I think the the main thing is that uh, Kamara had the, I believe it was an ankle issue. Uh, and so they were just going to scale back his usage a little bit. Right. And so I, th- I think that's the the main thing. It's obviously not great for him that Breeze is out because the offense as a whole has a higher ceiling, I believe, over Teddy Bridgewater when uh, Breeze is in there. Um, so I think the main thing is just the ankle. But uh, yeah, obviously not good if Latavius Murray is getting, you know, like double digit touches. Yeah, I agree with you there. I have seen some Kamara owners um, kind of exploring the idea of trying to move him. I think that if I were one of those owners, I would be basing my decision on the offense at large, not overreacting to an uptick of just a couple of opportunities for Murray. Leonard Fournette leads the Jags in receptions on the weekend, Gardner Minshew kind of cooling off. The Jaguars' offense starting to get ugly outside of Fournette and DJ. Any players that you think we could see getting into the mix, especially now that James O'Shaughnessy, the tight end that had started off the season fairly well, um, is you know officially out for the season. That happened last week. I don't know if there was anything that you picked up watching the performance this weekend. Uh, I'm not super interested in anyone else on this offense, um, but they do have a good matchup this week against Cincinnati. Uh, I think that will primarily benefit Fournette, but um, yeah, you could see Shark and uh, and D.D. Westbrook in the slot be able to have some production, um, but not interested really in anyone else. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's time-consuming, expensive. There are so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? You head to ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. It's no wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Blue Wire podcast listeners can try ShipStation 
free for 60 days. Yes, free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com. Then enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. Uh, I drafted OJ Howard and this is where I'm at now. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today and connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. Get Roman.com slash blue wire. Well, we talked about Will Disley a couple weeks back and how awesome he has been. Unfortunately, with a torn Achilles, he's out for the season. Are there any players in the Seahawks offense that might be able to pick up some of the slack with vacated uh, opportunity from Disley, or do you think this gets distributed out more evenly across the team? Uh, probably fairly even distribution, although I would imagine that Luke Wilson will see a little more action. And then I also think that some of the, um, the red zone and end zone targets that were going to this league could be shifted over to DK Metcalf, who I believe leads the league in, uh, end zone targets or is one of the league leaders in end zone targets. I've actually been impressed with, uh, with Metcalf. And I think that if you can start getting him more targets in the red zone, which seems like it could happen, um, we're going to end with a fairly uh, optimistic season for Metcalf in comparison to what we would have had as tempered expectations about some of the flaws that we could see in his game, lacking the agility and the question of his profile at Mississippi lining up across from AJ Brown, where Brown was really the one that stood out. But I think that you're with me there that uh, so far you have to be pleasantly surprised if you're an owner that did invest in Metcalf. Yeah, Metcalf, uh, yeah, I'm looking this up. Right now he's tied, uh, this information is from PFF, right now he's tied with Adam Thielen and Kenny Galladay with seven targets in the end zone. So uh, if that even bumps up just a little bit, that could be pretty significant for him. Yeah, and that's awesome to see because that is the way that you want to see a receiver like Metcalf get used. Yep. Ricky Seals Jones leads the Browns in receiving touchdowns with two. How disappointing have uh, Baker Mayfield and the Rams passing attack been? Uh, pretty disappointing. I mean, I, th- I think that just about sums it up. We can move on to the next question. <laughs> My next question is Kareem Hunt. <laughs> Are you looking forward and do you think that it makes sense to roster him in redraft leagues? I know Nick Chubb has been, uh, been fantastic, but it is a fair question. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to roster him in that he will be, I think, pretty immediately the uh, the second running back in the handcuff. So you should, I mean, every handcuff should pretty much be rostered in every league. So I think it makes sense in that vein. But I don't think you should have him uh, and then think, I'm going to be able to use him as a flex because this Browns offense is so prolific that points are just going to spill over to the second running back. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. I, I I'm in complete agreement there. Um, at this point, I think that you have to roster Auden Tate if he's available because oh, yeah. it's unclear 
what we can expect from AJ Green if he does return. I'm still not feeling great about his health. Tyler Boyd has been banged up. The entire Bengals offense has been banged up. It's really just been a disaster. Joe Mixon, eight carries for just 10 yards. He's been a huge disappointment. Is there any hope for this offense? I mean, there's hope for individual pieces in that uh, Auden Tate could continue to get, like, what is it? He's been getting targeted a lot. I mean, it's not like 10 targets Yeah, he has. Game, I want to say it like, was nine over the weekend. Um, actually, I can, I can, I can tell you It was you 12 right on here. the weekend, eight, and a, eight wow. and a half targets per game over his past his past four games. So since he became a starter, like that's really significant. So he should definitely be rostered. He hasn't been all that efficient uh, with his targets, but uh, as long as he's still getting that volume, like he has to be rostered. I mean, maybe even started, you know, Um, Mixon is hit or miss, but he obviously needs to be rostered. Um, The real interesting thing in all this is like AJ green. Um, what do you think the odds are that he has played his final game as a Bengal? Ooh, I actually, I think that he will return this season. So I would say that the Aussies plays final game as a Bengal, maybe at like 15, 20%. Okay. Yeah. I think that's probably right. So uh, Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach said that the team is adamant that they will not be trading AJ green. Um, but I mean, they are Owen six at this mm-hmm. point. What incentive do they really have to bring back AJ green? I mean, I guess like if he is fully healthy, um, then it's probably like a morale builder to bring him back and to see what you potentially have. And, you know, maybe you go on a kind of like 49ers type of run from a few years ago where you win a few games at the end of the season. And, you know, that helps people become enthusiastic about the team or something like that. But I think that's the only reason you bring AJ Green back. Um, If not, I think you just kind of let him sit for the year because like, what is the utility of running out a 31 year old guy who hasn't hasn't really been training, uh, hasn't had any action to this point of the season, like might injure himself again. I just I kind of don't see the, the value of it. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Uh, the only context I can find, and I have no idea of if an organization factors in something like this, the only thing I can really think of is trying to generate and uh, inject some enthusiasm into this team in the middle of the season uh, for the fan yeah. base um, right. by bringing Green back in the middle of the season. I, I am assuming, though, that pretty soon we'll start hearing the rumors about A.J. Green to the Patriots, I have to imagine. Yeah. I mean, those are those are already out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Lamar Jackson, basically, he was Baltimore's offense over the weekend. Uh, every time we bring him up, I, ha- I have to just remind myself how wrong I was on him. What was it? 155 rushing yards yesterday. He's on a ridiculous pace for like 1,300 rushing yards. Um, my question, though. Obviously, he's going to be fantastic closing out the season. Do you think that there's any reason to be worried that the rushing production that we've seen from him at this point fades? You know, um, maybe the team wants him to back off a little bit, focus on passing a little bit more, try to protect him from a you know injury risk. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the season, maybe he'll have only a thousand rushing yards <laughs> instead of thirteen hundred. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, like it's reasonable. And just looking at kind of like historical base rates, it's reasonable to assume that there's a good chance he he tails off a little bit. But you know, like that is a really important part of his game. I think he he will continue to run whenever he has the opportunity. So. Uh, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, the big thing is that he just he hasn't looked all that good throwing the ball, which like that was always the big question mark with him. Uh, so I think you just have to hope that he continues to improve incrementally as a passer. For sure. Any reason for owners that are still holding on Justice Hill to continue doing so? Uh, probably not. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I would imagine on waivers, he can find someone else who's probably closer to the top of the depth chart or like in the bye weeks, a wide receiver who can give you some actual production in your starting lineup or something. Yeah, I think that we've reached the point where, uh, you know, if you're looking to churn things, you can move off of Justice Hill. Tevin Coleman back in the 49ers lineup looking like the team really views him as their first option out of the backfield. 18 carries to Breedis 13. Breedis saw one more target with four. Coleman at three. If you were looking 
to own one of these bats, let's say that the season started today, who would you rather have, Coleman or Brita? I think Brita. Um, I mean, I know Coleman got more usage, um, but like they've still been pretty even. Um, I mean, Coleman, he has gotten more usage in each of the past two games, but like, I don't know, Brita's there, and I, I think Brita is probably the more talented player. Um, and this, I don't know, like, I trust Brita a little bit more to stay healthy. Um, he, I mean, I know that sounds weird, even though he left last game with an ankle injury, but like, he plays through his injuries yep. all the time. Yep. Um, Coleman doesn't. So, I don't know. I mean, it's really probably about even, but I just kind of have a preference for Brita. Well, you know, I, I think that when I took the first glance when I was writing up this question, I was thinking that I'd say Coleman, but I think that the thing that's different here is the usage will be fairly similar. Brita might see more targets, and the other thing that separates them for me is I feel like at this point in their careers, Brita is a little bit more explosive, maybe has more of an ability to make something happen for himself, making a nice cut, breaking off a big plane, eventually finding the end zone. So I think that's kind of how I would break that tie. Jerry yeah, I agree Goff, with that. Yep. Jared Goff, just 78 yards. Malcolm Brown rushed 11 times for the Rams for 40 yards. We saw Daryl Henderson rush six times for 39 yards. I actually thought that he looked pretty good when he had the ball. Uh, Robert Woods vultured a rushing touchdown um, from those two. Thoughts on the backfield if we see Todd Gurley continue to miss games. I'll also note that Robert Woods had two rushes. Brandon Cooks had two. Yeah, uh, I think a negative situation, but I would assume Malcolm Brown continues to um, to be the guy who gets the most work um, with Henderson potentially looking like the more explosive player. I would think Brown would be the one who's likelier to get the goal line touches. So um, then there's the question of like how intriguing is Daryl Henderson really? And I think a lot of that would be determined by uh, his usage as a receiver. Uh, he had only two targets last game. Like I, I think it's hard to trust. I think it's hard to trust Henderson. Henderson. It's hard to trust Brown too because the offense hasn't looked good. But uh, if the offense bounces back, Brown is the guy I think likely to get more uh, more touches and more goal line work, which makes him uh, I think the more enticing of the two. But uh, man, it's the I think. There are a couple of takeaways from that game. One is that San Francisco's defense really does look legit, um, especially their pass defense. Um, and Jared Goff, I don't know what it is, but like he's just been in this like <laughs> I like he was hit or miss before the Super Bowl, um, but after the Super Bowl, it's really been inconsistent. But um, at home as a favorite, that was always like his sweet spot. And the 49ers just crushed the Rams as home favorites. So it's, I think, kind of hard to know what to do right now. Yeah, it, it was bad. Um, it's almost as if Goff's communication with uh, McVeigh was entirely cut off. I guess if you're a Rams <laughs> yeah. fan, you have to hope that, that, that there's a rule change in season, giving the quarterback more time with the coach. Yeah. Um, a big game for Devonta Freeman. Two receiving touchdowns, another great game for Austin Hooper. This is a something that I've seen getting floated around. Is Calvin Ridley two touchdown dependent? Um, I think it's worth showing the split. So we have 22 games. In games that he scored a touchdown, that's 11. His PPR at 20.85 per game without the touchdown, 5.7. However... I think that one thing you have to look in here is that uh, the targets in the games with the touchdowns are at 7.45. The outsplit has the targets at 4.36. So perhaps it's just that the opportunity is going up and it's not so much the touchdowns. Tough to tease out, but I think with how good we've seen Ridley be, it shouldn't really matter. I think that you're still looking at a player who you're pretty much always keeping in your lineup unless you're on a zero running back team and really stacked at wide receiver. Yeah, so I mentioned this uh, in my uh, breakdown at Labs this last weekend for wide receivers. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, noted the splits that you mentioned. I, th I think the, the thing with Ridley is that, um, so yeah, he's, I think, a touchdown or bust type of player. And I think, as you pointed out, the, the target disparity, the big difference there is that I think when the... Um, the Falcons are in a game script where they're going to be throwing the ball more and they have good matchups. That is where Ridley really goes off. 
but when they're in a situation where either they're going to be running the ball a little bit more, so uh, just fewer targets to go around, or uh, he has a tougher matchup, um, they can't really depend on him. So, yeah, I think he is too dependent as a touchdown producer, but like the dependency is more of a reflection as opposed to something that is like a fulfilling prophecy. Like if he's in a good matchup, he has a good chance to score a touchdown and that's why he goes off. Um, but you know, in a different scenario, he could have a game where he has like 90 yards, uh, and the same, same reception total, same targets, and he just doesn't get in the end zone. Uh, but he still had the good matchup and that's why he had that production. Yeah, so for me, and I think I agree with pretty much everything that you said, my takeaway there is I'm going to be waiting a little bit longer to see kind of what bears out with him beyond this 22 games before I start to say myself, I can only play him if it seems very likely that it's a super good matchup and he's going to be able to get a touchdown. Um, what's going on in Dallas? Uh, Jason Garrett. That's that's what's going on. He has infested this offense with his DNA. And uh, so what once upon a time just three weeks ago looked like an <laughs> offense that was operating fairly free of Garrett's influence now feels like the same old uh, Jason Garrett, Scott Linehan offense that we had to suffer through uh, for, you know, uh, a few years before Kellen Moore arrived. So, uh, pretty negative. Uh, I think they basically look like the exact same Cowboys that they were last year and the year before that and the year before that. Yeah. I didn't actually see very much of this game live. Um, I went back and revisited something. Oh man, it was, it was absolutely brutal. Um, and one thing I should say, yep. they were without left tackle Tyron Smith. They were without right tackle Lael Collins. They were without Randall Cobb to start the game. They lost Amari Cooper after three snaps. They lost Byron Jones, their number one outside cornerback, during the game. They lost their slot cornerback, Anthony Brown, in the middle of the game. And so, like, you have all of these injuries that mount, and they're like cluster injuries, and they're all connected to the passing game. And as much as the Cowboys want to be a run-oriented team – You cannot win in the NFL if you can't consistently pass the ball and stop the pass. And both aspects of that team uh, were hindered in the middle of the game. And if you're the Patriots and you have injuries that pop up in the middle of the game, that's something you can live with because you're consistent enough in the way that you uh, indoctrinate is the wrong word, but like the way you disseminate all of the information amongst your team and the way that you uh, the, the way that you kind of self scout and you find players who can step in to where players can step up and produce the Cowboys aren't the team that can pivot like that on the fly. So whenever they have an injury to a key player in the middle of the game, it's, it's like a game plan ruiner. Um, and Jason Garrett is just not the type of coach who's able to adapt that quickly. <laughs> um yeah I, I did not realize just the extent of all of the injuries so that probably is worth noting um let's talk about those some more of the positives that could have come out of this game with Sam Darnold back Robbie Anderson 125 yards and a touchdown uh eight targets Jamison Crowder at nine targets any Jets now that become somewhat appealing uh with Darnold back yeah I mean all of them, all of them become appealing. You have yeah. Chris Herndon, who's going to come back at some point. Robbie Anderson has seven touchdowns in fourteen games with Sam Darnold. Um, Jamison Crowder has, you know, I don't know, like a hundred targets in two games with Sam Darnold. Uh, joking, that number is probably closer to like twenty-five <laughs> or thirty. It's still an ungodly number. He has almost yeah. two hundred receiving yards in his two games with Darnold. Like that's going to regress a little bit, but he's still like a guy who's going to get a lot of targets in the slot. Um, and then all of that should make things easier for Le'Veon Bell. So uh, yeah, I mean they're all intriguing. They're all. It's like speculative plays. Like I wouldn't want to have any of them except like if you have Le'Veon Bell, you have to start him. If you have Crowder, he is startable in PPR probably because he's, I think he's just going to get so many targets. Um, 
Anderson is more tentative because you're hoping for the touchdown. It's it's actually very Ridley-esque. When he scores a touchdown, he goes utterly off. And when he doesn't score, he destroys your team. So I think he's the type of guy you play only in good situations. And maybe when in your fantasy matchup, you're an underdog, you're really looking for someone who could give you uh, a, like a hoped for type of experience. Yeah, I've been uh, pretty impressed with with Darnold overall. So, I, I mean, I do feel a lot better about uh, players on the Jets now. Um, another quarterback situation that should have some impact on the team is in Tennessee. Uh, we could see Ryan Tannehill replace Marcus Mariota. Just let me kind of know what your thoughts are on this, how it might impact the team, and then obviously from a fantasy perspective, if there's an upgrade or a downgrade for the receivers. Uh, I don't really have much of an opinion. I don't think it changes much, to be honest. Um, do do you think it changes anything with the team? No, I don't really think that it changes very much at all. Um, mainly because I really don't know what to expect, or you know, I'm having trouble trying to consider what this offense would look like with Tannehill in. I think either way, we're probably going to see suboptimal quarterback play um, moving forward. So. There's really not a whole lot of insight that I think I can lend here. Yeah, I think it's going to suck either way. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I really have nothing more to say about this team. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about that this team at all. Yeah, me either. A team that we have talked about, and we keep talking about the same situation, but it's just fascinating to me. The Broncos this weekend. Philip Lindsay, two carries, sees more rushes than Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman. Five targets, 42 yards as a receiver, less rushes than Philip Lindsay. Interesting dichotomy. This has to change at some point. At some point, we have to see at least the carries come in line and Lindsay start out target Royce Freeman. I think Royce Freeman might be a better receiver than people do or realize, but this is odd usage. Yeah, it's uh, it's really odd usage. Um also, one thing that I think is a little bit odd, and maybe I'm just way off on this, yep. but uh, for this upcoming Thursday night football, the the Broncos are uh, three and a half point underdogs. Um, I think that number is off. Like, I think they should be underdogs by much more. Uh, and I know, like, it's hard to play um, at elevation, uh, and you know, especially coming off of a, a short week. And uh, maybe people are kind of viewing this as the Chiefs just lost two games in a row and the Broncos just won two games in a row. And it's a divisional matchup. So, you know, they're familiar with each other. It might be harder for the Chiefs to you know be able to go in there and just kind of do what they do to teams who aren't familiar with them. But I still think the Chiefs are better than three and a half points better than than the Broncos. Yeah, I think that is kind of an odd line mainly because I think that the Broncos defense might be able to keep the Chiefs in check to a certain degree but still like a poor offensive performance for the Chiefs could be 28 points that's a lot of points for a team like the Broncos to score um so yeah I'm kind of surprised at that as well yeah um, moving along, Melvin Gordon averaged 2.8 yards per carry last night. He's been pretty quiet since his return. Keenan Allen's been pretty quiet as well. The Chargers seem to be struggling. How huge of a problem is this for owners that have Eckler, Gordon, Allen, Mike Williams? Uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty big problem. Uh, so Gordon has never really been all that efficient in his career, except for one season. Let me rephrase that efficient on a per yardage basis right. as a runner. He's never been efficient in that way, except for last year. Um, you know, the main thing that Gordon has always provided is that he gets the volume, he gets the goal line touches, and he's a really good receiving back. Um, but he's not getting uh, as many targets as you would maybe hope you would um, because Eckler's there uh, and the offense is just struggling as a whole. So he's not getting the goal line touches. So it's a real negative for him. Um, earlier in the year, I felt like I was taking the L on uh, Keenan Allen as this awesome player. And he was <laughs> awesome at the beginning of the season. But um, yeah, I mean, that was the high point. Now we're seeing the low points and in the low points, 
you're probably a little too negative on him, but I think we can clearly see like he is a volume based guy. And I guess to an extent, all, all receivers are, um, but I think Allen is more than most. So when the offense isn't functioning the way it should be, and they're not able to sustain drives, um, it's really negative for Allen. Plus last game, a lot of targets went to Mike Williams who didn't do all that much with them. Like he could have had a massive game with all the air yardage he had. Uh, and it just didn't really, it didn't materialize in, into the massive game. But um, if he's going to see targets like that, that is a really big blow to Keenan Allen, who really needs uh, the volume in the offense to uh, to return the value that people were projecting him with after the first month of the season. And on the other side of the ball in this game, we saw... Um, well, actually, a lot of this, uh, I think, really started with the Steelers' defense, but Pittsburgh laid it on in the Sunday night game. James Conner was looking awesome to start off the game, went out with an injury. We saw Benny Snell fill in 17 carries, 75 yards, one reception for 14 yards. If Conner were to miss significant time this season, how high or let me say that differently like yeah okay how high would your expectations be for Snell I guess is all I really have to all I have to ask there yeah I mean I think running back to you know and there's like a pretty (laughs) wide wide range of not like the running back to but like yeah like a, a guy who will slot in as like the 13th to 24th running back on the board you know, uh, on any given week, kind of, you know, adjust for matchup and stuff like that. But like, he's playing Miami next week, like, you know, and they're at home. That's a good situation. If he's the starter, you could easily see him being a top five running back next week, just through like the sheer volume of getting a hundred yards and maybe a couple of touchdowns. Like you could see that happening. This is like, we're at that part in the season where running backs are starting to get injured and guys you wouldn't have thought of like are now in line to put up actual usable production. Yeah, very exciting times. Now, the one thing I'm wondering about, though, actually, I think that they have a buy-in week seven, so his first game back. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. So that, yeah, yeah. so I I think that's the one kind of wrench here in in the possibility of um, Snell becoming usable because I think that Connor could certainly be healthy, and we don't know the extent of the injury. It might have also just been that uh, he got a little banged up. They were well ahead in that game. Um, I guess we'll just close with this. Oh, boy. Poor Juju Um, (laughs) Smith-Schuster. Like, I know that we've said that we would have been wrong even if Roethlisberger had had been healthy, which I think is true, but things have now even started to go... Like, it's a worse situation than it even looked like when Roethlisberger went down. So hopefully Mason Rudolph gets back. Still not feeling very very optimistic, but like uh, this is just awful. I mean, the one thing I would say is that, um, I mean, I think he's, it's it's painful to have to think about starting him in a redraft right now, but obviously a buy low in Dynasty, if you can do it. Um, but last week he had Desmond King in the slot, who's an all-pro defender, and then when he would move outside, he had Casey Hayward on him, who is one of the best shutdown cornerbacks on the outside. So, like, I, I mean, in my wide receiver cornerback matchup piece, I was referring to this as basically like double shadow coverage. Like, it was a clear stay away situation last week for Juju. So, I I mean, I don't view it as something that uh, means he's even worse than we thought he, he would be. Like I was expecting it to be a bad situation and yeah. it was maybe a little bit worse, but like still like in the same vein, but like big picture. Yeah. He's, he's in a horrible situation. Um, this is like his, this is the nader for him. Like this is Deandre Hopkins. You know, he's one of the best wide receivers in the league in 2015 and it like, or 2016 and it still doesn't work out 2015. Yeah. Yeah. The Brock so- Osweiler year. Right. The silver lining here is that it's going to depress his ADP next year, uh, and he's still going to be a very, very good, very talented wide receiver, so maybe we can get him for a little bit cheaper next year. 
That's going to do it for today's show, though. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can still sign up for a Rotoviz subscription through the Rotoviz Radio podcast homepage, Rotoviz Radio, or excuse me, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Get a 10% discount. You still can get into the Slack channel where you can get advice from myself and other members of the Rotoviz Radio team. That also has the information on that up on the podcast page and lock in a two-year subscription through Rotoviz Radio. Again, that's going to do it for today's episode. Check out Rotoviz, and until next time, remember, it's not fancy if you believe this. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.